Hello and welcome to the Sonic Fruit Film Podcast, where we aim to celebrate movies through the simple act of talking about our favourites. I'm Bennett Maples, and today I'm joined by the debonair Carl Cole, composer and Sonic Fruit's resident Foley artist, and by the labyrinthine Adam Shepard, cinematic savant and Claudia Cardinal stalker. In this episode, we're discussing E.T., which it turns out is more than just my son's exclamation that it's dinner time, it is also... A cracking movie. So it's 1982, and Steven Spielberg's, I thought, slightly smoky, rather oddly smoky suburb that these guys seem to live in. The woods are always smoky. The house is always a little bit smoky. That's, there's a lot of that. Was that was that just it's, the 80s stuff? I've forgotten. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like the opening of Raiders. It's all. It's a very smoky jungle. And yeah. The light filtering through the trees. He just loved that look, didn't he? But it is a very 80s thing. I think you're right. That I. F- I felt it oddly. I I went back to it thinking, it's, I mean, it's ET. It's you know, it's timeless. I'm gonna love it. I did actually think it was quite dated. Did you? I think mainly the pacing. I mean, it's obviously quite a period piece, so the '80s suburb of America looks, you know, very but dated. It's coming but back. It is absolutely. You get that whole pacing thing is on the way back, big time. Well, I hope so. Yeah, absolutely. You're talking about the cutting. Yeah, takes being longer, less cuts. Yeah, like the Michael Bay approach yeah. being jettisoned. Yeah, which is great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I liked it for that, but it did it did feel. I don't want to derail any kind of starting that you'd planned. No, but um, it, it's worth you pointing think I planned, out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but right at the beginning, they're playing Dungeons and Dragons, which I didn't realise at the time. And one of them is smoking, which yeah. is just you know, which is great. You're yeah, wondering about the smoky way. shots because everyone in the eighties was smoking. Um, but they're playing Dungeons and Dragons, which is completely. Stranger Things have just borrowed that um, feel. This, yeah. this, you know, Stranger Things is a huge hit right now. Um, I think a lot of people will be looking towards the second season of it, but it does borrow an awful lot from ET and other films of that era. Oh, hugely, yeah. The, 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 the relationship with those boys and the way, like you're talking about with the Dungeons and Dragons and their interactions, it was just lifted straight out of. Spielberg 80s cinema, but the whole thing yeah. references 80s cinema, doesn't it? And just, I mean, as as a result, does feel quite timely. Mm. Yeah, I thought it was great. The I don't, I don't necessarily want to jump into it straight away, but the thing that I really felt actually wasn't dated was the score. Ah, uh, feels mm. so timeless, and it's interesting because I went to a John Williams evening recently, and obviously it's just you know hit after hit after hit, but still among all of those themes. E.T. really stood out. I th- yeah, I, I was so. I was stunned. It's just a fantastic piece of music, not just a great film score. Yeah, but it's a really good piece of classical music. I mean, it's still got that John Williams esque, so it's very corn gold. It's got a very classic cinema feel to it. But yeah, it's just great music. Yeah, I was thinking coming into this recording that I'm kind of hoping at some point you pick a movie that has a pretty bad score because I, <laughs> I I've been sat in this chair a few times now, and every time I've gone. Yeah, the score's really good, and, uh, and here we are doing ET. And there's no—I can't say that anything Carl, about. He just, he just doesn't have anything bad to say, does he? Really? <laughs> there's, yeah, there's, 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 the score is wonderful. I mean, we'll—I'll I'll let you make your point because no, 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 no doubt I'll—I'll uh, I'll blub about the score in a bit. Um, I think it's probably possibly his finest in terms of how it marries the material. Mm. So you've got—I um, just think it's perfect. I, well, I, th- I completely agree, and I don't think I would have done recently. I mean, I mean, I think that would have been quite a, a surprising statement to me until quite oh, really? recently. But oh, okay. actually, uh, yeah, I was. I was always amazed. loved it. That was one of the first way back. 
Uh, it was one of the first vinyl soundtracks I ever mm. bought. I had a vinyl. Yeah, yeah, just, and as you said, you alluded to earlier, it just stand on its own as a piece of music. But when you watch it with, I don't find the pacing of E.T., like you said, the pacing wrong okay. or, or slow. I just, I think it's stunning. As a film. I, I, I like it, yeah. No, I, and I think the, I think it's again. I, I'd put it out there. If I, if so, you know, when people say, "Oh, what's your your top five movies or whatever," E.T. is always the Spielberg film I go to. It's being in my top five. Mm-hmm. It's not any of the others. And I, and I think it's it's quite easily, and I can see why it's kind of dis, not dismissed, but it's considered like the kind of family friendly, you know, kiddie film. When you yeah. actually watch it, it's way more than that. And it's actually quite well. I went dark, even. Yeah. You know, it's about a lot of adult stuff for a film about kids. The family background. And as I get older, I actually find it harder to watch in a way, kind of more affecting. Um, It's it's a profound film. I think it's a lot more than than a you know the kiddie adventure. That's interesting. You said I I found the same thing actually watching it as a parent. I was thinking I'm, I'm finding I'm finding this a very different yeah well, maybe that's well, it. I don't know. Dad's in here, aren't we? But um, I found it a different experience than I'd remembered watching it. It's a, I, the the loss in it struck me much more watching it. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of loss in it, mm. <laughs> and uh, well, literal and metaphorical. You know, it's just all over the place, and you just think that's great. really. But he marries it brilliantly. What's why it's so great is it you then get the wonder of being an eleven, twelve year old boy and the magic, you know, the riding the bikes and all the rest of it. So you get it's just a perfect confection of sad, loss, grief, mm. you know, and all that. Being you know, growing up and then excitement and wonder and, and that's when those strings come in and the the swirly strings, if you know what I mean, when it goes yeah, you know, It's just majestic. I just think it's stunning. It, and it does capture that childhood way. thing. I think is really interesting. I hadn't noticed how low everything's shot. It's yeah. all you're really yeah. in with the kids, and it's very much. Well, you only ever see Pete Coyote's keys, don't you? Feel like the whole film, yeah. And stuff for a start. You know, all the adults are just a waistline, really, the yeah. whole time. And, well, I think that's a fascinating thing. The way it, it portrays adults um, is is fascinating. I think, um, and the fact that it's it's very from a child's perspective, which is quite a Spielberg trait. There's a few of his films where he's very kind of centred on what it is to be a child. And I think that's a really, really interesting aspect to some of that work as well. Um, I, d- I don't know how much you know about the the background of this film, but the, this film was actually um, born out of two separate ideas. Do you know about this? No. Okay, so Warner Brothers had asked Spielberg to do A Close Encounters 2, um, which he was never really into as an idea. Which you can understand. I mean, Close Encounters is is its own film, and I can't Absolutely. imagine where the you where know, they find it. a way of, of, yeah, sure. of making a sequel. But you know, he wasn't that interested in it. He had an idea for doing a story about being a child um, dealing with the divorce of his parents. I think the the project was entitled Growing Up. Um, at the same time, he was working on a project that was about. Uh, malevolent aliens terrorizing a family and but one of those aliens had befriended a small boy within the family and so what he did is he married two of those ideas together to make et um which is a really really interesting i think that's the bit that i noticed so that film became et yet he collect he kept the malevolent um spirit idea for poltergeist 
mm. which I th- found fascinating. Mm-hmm. So he kind of split those two ideas off into two separate things. Um, and E.T. was the result because he was he wanted to do an autobiographical piece about him um, living in a Jewish family. His parents divorced when he was 15 in Arizona. And obviously that was quite a troubling or difficult time for him. But he really wanted to do an auto- autobiographical piece about that. And E.T. essentially is... If not that piece, it's it's kind it's of got elements of his original ideas for that's that. That's really interesting. Yeah, I think that stuff comes through really strongly, um, the family stuff, mm. um, and you know you're talking about the talking about the loss and all the rest, all the rest of it earlier. But that's what really is really affecting you. Get in that you get you know Elliot grows up in inverted comedy, you know, but through that film, mm-hmm. but and that the family stuff's just brilliant. And he, I mean, you, it's interesting what you just said about that, actually, because because he kind of touches on, you know, because there's, there's the the family in Close Encounters, for example, is really feels really real, and yeah. his slow disintegration, and then their separation, and the, you know, which would be again would have been quite painful like, if he's so he's he's touching on those ideas in Close Encounters and the benevolent um, aliens and so on in Close Encounters, but then to kind of and the child, the child in Close Encounters has no father either, does he? Or any... Yeah, it's just a, it's a single parent family there, isn't it? And he's playful, and they're kind of, you know... And then at the end, you know, they're all friendly, and obviously, but I think um, he, he, it's like there's much more focus, like you were saying, in E.T., then it's just, let's just get rid of all the other stuff and just go for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that is brilliant, absolutely brilliant. I, when I rewatched it, rewatched the 20th, uh, anniversary special. Oh, not the CGI. Thing. Yeah, with the flashlights instead of guns. I was desperately trying to remember. And ET in the bath, that dreadful scene. Yeah, yeah I haven't seen the new version. I okay, say. there's a scene with ET in the bath, um, which is kind of quite cute. I mean, there were there were moments where I thought actually the facial expressions were very CG, and moments where they weren't so good. Um, but I was desperately trying to remember what ET was like when he was just a puppet, which obviously he still is for most of it, even in the in the special edition. But I was trying to mentally filter out because obviously the character of ET is still the core of it. Um, you know, all all of this stuff aims to serve and enrich, and Elliot having all this depth to his character is is a huge support. But you've still got to get the alien right. I mean, the whole thing crumbles if. And they, really, was, they did, didn't they? Really, it was. Uh, uh, do you know? Do you know who designed the alien? Carlo Ramboldi. Wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's Carlo Ramboldi, and um, it was based on paintings because I think he's a painter, okay. sculptor, and he'd done this painting of a family. I think it was of a family, and they all look a bit like ET. They've all got these kind of elongated heads, and um, so Spielberg approached him about creating the alien. So I found it. That was didn't quite he also do? Didn't he also use um, Einstein? Einstein's face because right. he talked about yeah. having the face of Einstein's being like the ultimate kind. The ultimate, you know, the kind of ultimate iconic kind face Einstein. So they they sort of stuck a bit of that in there as well. Yeah, there was a few faces I think he wanted to incorporate. Einstein was one of them. Yeah, yeah, really, really fascinating. Such depth in creating what seems like quite a simplistic design for the alien, Mm. Um, and they'd they'd use this really cutting edge technology at the time to make his neck extend. Mm. Um, And the other thing is the actor. Um, one of the actors, because obviously there were so many different types of E.T. to make the alien as real as possible. Yeah. But for those shots that they needed E.T. to walk around, they had an actor who had been born without legs to walk, who could walk on his hands to to don the suit and walk around on his hands. Because I wondered, I was like, oh my God, how do they... The E.T. moves in a way that's quite yeah. unreal mm. as well. Even because the... then... 
doesn't just look like there's a little person in there walking. It's no, it's not Kenny specific. Baker, is it? You no. sort of think what's going on? Yeah, he wobbles. Yeah, yeah, and there's, a, there's and... that. Yeah, there's that slight wobble to him. The, the um, waddle as he as he moves around, and and so I think interestingly, a lot of the special effects in regards to the alien hold up really well because mm. um, you can tell it's a real thing happening. Yeah. You know, you know. Gonna... I mean, it's a common theme in I think any discussion on film, but it's obviously a common theme that we've come across. Anything that's done in camera, yeah, is fairly timeless. I mean, it's going to look like it's going to look, and that's going to hold up twenty years later. The one shot that didn't hold up so well was the spaceship leaving at the beginning. Yeah, and I don't know if they made so. that any better in the uh, not really the anniversary edition, but it did. It looked, you know, of of the era really of shots like that just a model sliding up a piece of string kind of yeah, yeah. didn't really uh, didn't really convince me but we should talk about the score we should yeah so we, we, we briefly touched on the score I feel like you've got more to say well <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't want to gush about John Williams um, but let's face it this is this is maybe the third or fourth big Spielberg movie he's worked on I'm thinking before this there would have been Jaws, Close Encounters, Raiders. Yeah. Um, so I'm thinking that by now this is the film he hits his stride. Yeah. I think. Um, I mean, it's nothing he's ever done can really be considered as bad. I've heard tales of some slightly iffy jazz TV series work that he's done in in the 60s, 70s, but I've never heard it, so it doesn't exist. <laughs> um, I think he was called Johnny Williams then, wasn't he? Is that right? I'm I sure. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think he did a. Did he do the Iger sanction for Clint Eastwood? And I think it's music by Johnny Williams, and it's John. Wow. Anyway, sorry. sorry. No, no, there's some. There's another reference <laughs> area right there. Um, but the, as you said, the theme from this is possibly one of his best. And I, I sat and worked it out yesterday because I like to get a handle of some of this material because it's so iconic, and it's. It's stunning. It's crafted so well. It's got the traditional kind of uh, Williams trademarks of polytonality so that he's using multiple uh, key signatures at, at the same time and things to give it that really rich, romantic, lush feel. But it's just an incredibly well-written melody. Um, and that melody kind of punctuates throughout the film. There's several different motifs that, that jump in the film. Um, interestingly the government agents have got the bad guy motif um and i was really struck by at the beginning actually how scary some of the scenes are in the way that the music interplays with the action mm. and there's a sense of it's almost almost becoming a bit of an alien thriller towards the beginning because you don't know about et's intentions mm. and the film does a really good job of stringing that out until you find out that he's actually you know a really nice alien and we can trust him um but up until then a lot of the music is is a bit bernard herman kind of edgy um not really settling anywhere i was reminded re-watching it of actually when i of how scared i was when mm. i first saw it at the cinema when when elliot's you know going outside to, to see what's in the in the in the woodshed in the shed, it's not yeah. the woodshed yeah. probably but um yeah i remember thinking very very horror film-esque don't go yeah. in the woodshed. Don't go in the woodshed. Mm. It's actually quite scary. And as oh, you say, the music my is... My son was sitting there watching it with me, and he was scared. Yeah. He was genuinely scared. The music scared. is telling you that something awful could happen. Yeah. Um, and, of course, it becomes this wonderful, fluffy... And that's the, <laughs> that's the bit of this film we really remember, is the flying on the bikes and all the warmth. And, uh, spoiler alert, E.T. dying. 
and uh, <laughs> that kind of stuff. We remember all that. We don't necessarily remember all the tense, how tense it is at the beginning. Yeah. And the music does a really, really great job um, of that. But I, I think in regards to the score, it's just, it's the ultimate John Williams score, really. Um, it's It's got all of his trademarks and the most fantastic main theme of them all. I think, you know, I'm I'm a sucker for Indiana Jones, but I can appreciate the musical quality in E.T. that little bit more, mm. I think. The thing that really struck me was it, it's all so rich. I mean, I think we said it about Jaws as well, actually. You, it's, you struggle with Jaws to get over that sort of two-note motif, and that's mm. it's all very famous. Once you then get into it, the underscore is great music. Yeah. You know, it actually really is it, at all... Um, and that I think really hits its pinnacle with with ET. I mean, his, his ability to write a theme will continue for you know years to come. But uh, yeah, as you say, at this point, yeah, that's impo- that's a, that's a really important point to make, isn't it? Actually, that yeah, he can write a theme, but ET is way more than just a really nice theme. Yeah. The, the music throughout, and this goes back to what I was saying earlier: the the marriage of of the theme, but also the music to that material. It's almost like every, at that point in '82, they were all they all it was like a perfect storm. Everything just Everybody was at the top of their game on that mm. one, so it was like the best John Williams score. I think you know Spielberg, obviously, as you were alluding to, had a really personal connection to the material. So you get, an, it's not sentimental like he can sometimes veer into. It's there's genuine warmth and heart and emotion in there. Yeah. It's not cheesy or a bit over the top. You know, it's it's really painful and real. And the performances are fantastic. Everybody was just right right on the top of the game for that one, and that's why it just pips. Only just. I'm with you on Ra- on the Raiders thing. Yeah, yeah. Just pips. Um, <laughs> everything else. As family men, where do, where do we feel about the the family unit that's portrayed in it? I mean, we've said already. Obviously, the the, the background, the divorce aspect of it is really interesting. Um, but I I always think of it as really beautifully capturing. Being, I mean, I think the whole the bike thing is is a stroke of genius yeah. because actually, the freedom that those kids have on bikes. That adults don't have. Yeah, I remember that. They can't, you know, they can't nip down the back alleys because they're not on bikes. Yeah, it's fantastic, and actually, it just gives. Kid, and and you have that, you know, you believe that when you're riding around as a kid on a bike, you feel like you, you know, you're the king of the world. Yeah, parents and adults um, are slow, cumbersome creatures. But does anybody have a little sister that's that cute? Does anybody have a big brother that's that cool? I'd forgotten. I mean, he kind <laughs> of, Michael. he kind of ribs yeah. them, doesn't he? But yeah. man, he's the coolest big brother ever. Yeah. Yeah, well, you when get Michael, same... you know, when Elliot's saying, "I've got this thing, you can't tell anyone about it," he, do, you know, he doesn't scoff him and walk out of the room like surely most teenage boys would do. Their little brother, he goes, "Oh, okay, yeah, I swear." Yeah, it's it's great. He's the most, you know, he's this incredibly supportive. I mean, I, he's supposed to have taken on the father role, maybe to a certain extent. Yeah, he's... you do get the sense. I think, I think you do. You know, I mean, you don't know. I didn't rewatch it. I will confess. So, <clears throat> yeah, I may be misremembering, but I don't think you get a sense of when the father left no, specifically no, so he's just gone so so you do they do create you do get the sense that that those kids have all pulled together yeah. in his absence and so that does feel There's another woman very very to tight Mexico together despite that's the it. fact that that's right the beginning of yeah. so that, that that feels very tight from the get-go you you get that sense that however long he's been gone that that has made those kids and that is then what carries it through the whole as you're saying it it makes everything you do everything is although it, with distance, you might look at it and go, "Well, surely you wouldn't react like that." In in that world that he has created, there, it all makes perfect sense mm. that they, of course he'd react like that, and they would all 
pull together like that and he wouldn't question it and so on and it that's yeah. that is really really tricky to pull off mm. so i think i think the older brother does fulfill that not fulfill that fatherly role but helps shoulder a bit of that responsibility yeah. um and of course elliot is the uh fantastical second child the uh wondrous and uh inquisitive second child and then you have a very 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 young drew barrymore mm. which i didn't realize until i watched it again um i'd never made the link at all oh, really? so and i think she's fantastic in it she's, she's just so cute and lovely yeah um so yeah it's a uh it's, it's a really really interesting family unit the mother i find actually a little awkward um but she's an adult and this yeah. is very much a kid's world isn't yeah it? You, true whatever true. her role was supposed to be she's always going to be slightly on the on the periphery because she needs to be the halloween bit the ha- when they're all dressing up for halloween and she comes out and she's all kind of she's got like a tiger outfit or something yeah. as i remember you know and it and it that's vaguely overtly kind of sexual or say and i went that's quite an odd moment like which lot you're referring to she's a little bit you kind of what you part of you wonders where, where is she going off to and what, what's that going to be about <laughs> yeah. you know but but you don't you, you stick with the kids and go off and it is that is yeah but there is two very separate worlds like you're like you're yeah. describing the the, yeah. the the adults are just odd and not part of it at all yeah. I mean, well, there's the, the yeah, I mean she's coping with a divorce she presumably has her own story but it's really not relevant to this at all except that it sets her slightly apart from her kids yeah. which allows them to be having this adventure that she's not aware of mm. and uh, there's a really interesting scene where she's she's just brought uh, Drew Barrymore Gertie home from school and she's dropped her off and Gertie and E.T. are messing around they're kind of Oh, following each other around. she's completely yeah, yeah. oblivious to the whole thing she's finding beer cans where E.T.'s been drinking beer and you know oh, it's a film that deals with child intoxication we should talk about that yeah. um, <laughs> and and she's just completely oblivious and then she leaves Gertie at the house to go and pick up Elliot who's been who's drunk yeah that's good um, yeah, yeah. so you know this is this is a mother who's not really paying full attention not to see there's an alien in her front room and leaving her uh assume assuming five six year old yeah, daughter yeah. at home so yeah, yeah. not the most you, you don't look for an alien in your front room there do you i mean in, you know no. in hindsight i, I watch that film you can and forgive think, her, well actually there are times when you know maybe my son's playing on his own and you know i'll go back in the room and think he could have been playing with anything in here and i wouldn't necessarily immediately think Surely this was an alien. But you're it? right to to leave a five or six year old in the house and go off somewhere yeah. in the car yeah. for half an hour is yeah. not socially acceptable nowadays. No, maybe I, I don't even maybe think not. it was socially acceptable in the eighties. To be fair, mm. um, but you know, no, you certainly didn't depict it on film. I'm really interested in the way that they depicted Agent Keys. He's only referred to as Agent Keys, um, and I I found this quite an interesting because you don't see his face until right near the end yeah. when they're in the. The tents and when they, they found the conversation ET about and, I'm like you, Elliot, and all yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, I, yeah, I think he's a really interesting character. I don't. He went for the role of um, Indiana Jones, I think. Okay. That actor, I can't remember his name. Peter Coyote. Yeah, there you go. Um, and uh, he he went for that role. Apparently, it was a disastrous audition, but Spielberg kept him in mind because he wanted quite a bumbling kind of character to play this agent. Um, and it's actually, not how anybody wants to be cast, though. Is no, it? no. Oh, yeah, that <laughs> terrible audition fumbling. you did. I've got just the role for you. Um, but he's uh, the fact that you don't see his face 
for such a long time. Considering, I think he's the the kind of faceless bad guy for a large part of the film. And then you see his face and it flips over and he becomes this kind of this sympathetic guy mm. who, um, you know, really levels with Elliot. So I think that's, that's a really interesting shift. I expected almost in the film for them to play more of him in terms of that role, mm. that there might be something where he then um, helps them, quite overtly helps them to get away or something. And I think it feels like there's a little nod towards that, but it never really never yeah. really uh, took Well, ultimately, the baddies are just... I mean, it's a, just a malevolent force, isn't it? They're the government. We don't really know who they are or what their agenda is. We just know that their agenda isn't just talking innocently to an alien being. So anybody that doesn't have that innocence, anybody that doesn't have that childlikeness. And he then displays that he does to a certain degree, which is, that's his sort of crossover, isn't it? It's like actually... It's nice that, it, it's, nice that it's not as overt as well, isn't it, I think? Because mm. you, that conversation in, by the bed, you just get enough to then start speculating yourself about his childhood and what he was like mm. growing up and how mm. he shared Elliot's wonder and all the rest of it. And, and you believe, you know, it's it could easily just be a scene where he's trying to manipulate Elliot and he's making this stuff up to get false sympathy from Elliot, etc. But he's not. You know, you believe that, that Elliot could grow up into that. Mm-hmm. You know, that that that's really well played, really yeah. well done. And then at the end, of course, he's even how far you want to take it. But like the final shot of them, them all standing there, he's kind of like taking the place of the father. You've got yeah. the mother and he's Peter, standing, who's standing the there with the children. Like, that's like the, the kind of the family, family unit is reconstituted yeah. at the end. There, and yeah. I don't know how much. You know, that's deliberate or not but I mean it seems it was pretty it's a pretty potent image it's always it struck seems me. like quite a strong image to, that, that, to do know, accidentally yeah I think it's it's the, you know that like the nuclear family kind of reformed then at the end with you could easily the Elliot leaving the kids with the parents with the I mean yeah absolutely and um you know I mean the, we haven't even talked about all the kind of death resurrection white robe and flying off into the sky at the end thing which maybe we don't need to but he, he kind of work is done <laughs> yeah. and, the, and the family's all all fixed and it's all great you know and yeah. uh that's not the most subtle bit of the film, but um, is it Christian allegory? Let's get right in there. Let's ask the question: Is this the story of Christ? Well, is. I, don't, I don't know how deliberately it is, but I don't know. I don't. I don't know if the whole. F- I don't know. I think. I think it's definitely in his mind. I think you. you I don't think you can have that that shot where. Where they, he comes at the doors of the ambulance open when they finish yeah. the check, you know the doors of the ambulance open, the smoke that <laughs> you referring to it billows out, <laughs> and then ET is standing there with the robe and the cameras down low, you know, framing him like the hero shot yeah. kind of thing. You know, that's that's to me pretty blatant, um, and what they're alluding to. So the guy, yeah, he's he's come down, he's been misunderstood, he's helped heal the family, etc. He's physically he's, well the light up thing he can physically, physically heal and perform yeah. miracles and then he dies he's resurrected and he flies away at the end I think um, yeah you'd I, be hard pushed to just argue that it wasn't for the story that they but, but again that doesn't overpower you don't really yeah. think of it like no. that you I would only ever think like of that, that like an adult I would never Abs- have seen oh, absolutely. that as a child no um, and I think I think the other and I, I'm I'm completely on the fence here because I just I'm just playing devil's advocate that um, lots of stories about death and resurrection. Absolutely. A lot. It's a recurring theme through lots and lots of films. Um, the Matrix is one um, that got loads of Christian allegory kind of claims yeah, in regards to it. And obviously, directors kind of try and distance themselves from any kind of chatter about that. 
Um, well, I think as Adam says, the, the strongest thing here is that it's you can interpret it however you want. Mm, I mean, it's just yeah. it's a powerful story and it's an emotional story, and you know it's going to involve you. But if you you know if that if that's your want and that's your background, then you're going to see that, and it's going to be another layer to the film. Yeah, absolutely. Completely. Yeah, I just think it's more about. I just find the the, the growing up stuff in ET. Um, really potent well Spielberg you know. loves his coming of age yeah. topics yeah. I wouldn't say necessarily all his films are coming of age films but there's there's that theme running through lots of them he loves the yeah, idea of enough, someone actually when you were saying it before I, I, I was thinking when I when I rewatched it um, I think of yeah Spielberg handles the family really well and he handles kids really well and then actually as I was watching E.T. I was thinking I think of E.T. when I'm thinking that mm. he, he does it in other films there are, there are kids and they're always really well handled but actually, there's no other film where he handles the whole unit like this. I think it's just that ET is so good and it's so iconic for it yeah. that the fact that he can then—I mean, it's obviously something he can do—and it's as you've already said, it's something that he had alludes to in other films. But actually, when we say that, we're thinking of ET. That's really interesting you say that. I think you're bang on because you—it's the same with Stranger Things. You know, people were talking about Stranger Things and oh, it it's it's so 80s cinema and it references 80s this that 80s that, and then when you actually think in your mind you think yeah what films is it referencing what's it referring to well it's it references lots yeah but, but it's trying to be et et yeah, and spielberg no, exactly so you've got yeah it's it's so i think between et and stand by me for sure yeah um because it's got that that brotherhood feel of stand by me mm -hmm. stranger things so Def yeah Fair i point. definitely don't want to do real <laughs> <laughs> that's another one yeah completely. Or have you done that already no, no we haven't never yeah. yeah. but um yeah. So anyway, so what was I saying? The, so the growing up, that yeah, the coming of age, the growing up. Um, so the you know the Eat, the Elliot at the end of that film is I, I get the impression that he's going to be less less in less interested in in you know the, the little toy sequence. Yeah. He's he's a different boy by the end of the film. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and there's a great shot, a br one of my favourites, where he when he when E.T. I think it's when E.T. You'll have to remind me because you've never seen it. But when E.T. runs away, but there's a scene where Elliot goes to the bottom of his garden. And he and uh, I think ET's run into the cornfield, or he's run off, or done something because mm -hmm. the swing is swinging. Yeah, and he stops the swing, and then stares off after ET mm. or whatever. And I always think that's like a like a sign of you know he's kind of putting away childish things, and he's going to have to move okay. forward. And he's yeah. changing, you know, he's cha he's changing. I mean, not in that moment, obviously, literally. Right, I'm now a grown up, but you know, it's it's kind of a. I've always really really liked that shot and that's what that's always meant to me it's, it's kind of a, well, an indication of where it's heading and mm -hmm. it's like, no, the early shots in the film are very strong yeah. very flavorful that the shot that you mentioned earlier with the light in the shed mm. and elliot standing outside of it and I, everyone thinks of the bike going across the moon it's that shot with him standing outside the shed that mm. i think of mm. when i think of et I think of that initial sense of uncertainty about the creature. And I watched it and I went, actually, for me, this is the shot of the film. All the flying on bikes is great. Yeah, I agree. Because it's but revisited actually, as well, isn't it? He then sits out the next night. Yeah. yeah. Um, and ET brings in got, the Skittles. And the shed got lattice yeah. on it, which is great. You know, it could have just been a wooden shed, but he, yeah. choosing that lattice was genius. That's you know an incredibly mean, bright really light to have on in that shed yeah. at night <laughs> as well. <laughs> yeah, I was watching for the million bugs that surely have amassed in that yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I think you know, budget wise wasn't that it wasn't that no, huge not that really was it no. I mean obviously a fair bit for for the ET development and all of that stuff but 
ultimately it's a family drama so you know budget can be quite reasonable Um, yeah an awful lot of it you can just shoot in a house can't you yeah I don't know whether I don't know whether they did build that as a set but no Mm. you know no exploding helicopters or any of that stuff so uh, tends to keep costs down a little bit and and all the better for it as a film I think they spent all the money on that opening effects shot of the uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> the one that's aged terribly <laughs> and the rainbow one at the end and all that yeah. gorgeous but yeah that's brilliant on which note I want to thank Adam and Carl for joining me and you for listening don't forget you can email us at podcast at sonicfruit.co.uk or you can tweet at us via at sonic underscore fruit Sonic Fruit Film Podcast is produced by Sonic Fruit, with music by Carl Cole and engineering by Jake Kenny and Jordan Brett. For more information, check out sonicfruit.co.uk. Sonic Fruit.